welcome to the uh, current installation of the House 94 podcast. Uh, today, we have a special guest. Last week, we took it light. You know what I'm saying? We had Joy on from BBC. Thanks again. Tonight, we got to take it to a little bit more gravity. We uh, want to get on the topic of men's health and, um, you know, being Morehouse men. Yeah, there's, there's no shortage of experts, you know, kings and potentates we can reach out to at all levels of government and industry, titans all over the place we can reach out to that can come on and uh, and give us some insight into literally any topic that we'd like to uh, discuss. And um, today, since we everybody started talking about the election and the GSA just uh, signed a letter of ascertainment, so we're about to get Donald Trump says, or excuse me, the cocksucker in chief out of office. Um, we, uh, we now are joined today by Thomas W. Avenant, Jr., M.D., our, uh, another one of our classmates from uh, Hubert Hall, first floor, uh, from 1990. Um, he joined a Digestive Disease Associates in 2008 and is a native of greater Washington, D.C. metro, uh, D.C. metro area, uh, growing up in Silver Spring, Maryland. Dr. Abernathy graduated with honors from Morehouse College. Um, like I said, he was there, you know, when we were there, same hall. And went on to the Medical College of Pennsylvania uh, School of Medicine, now Drexel University School of Medicine, where he received his medical degree. Dr. Abernathy attended the Washington Hospital Center in the District of Columbia, where he completed his internal medicine residency program uh, and fellowship program. In 2005, he joined a private practice in Annapolis, Maryland, um, and after three years, decided to embark on new opportunities at Digestive Disease Associates, uh, who have 15 physicians and three nurse practitioners. Uh, who serves Maryland's uh, Anne Arundel, Howard, in Baltimore counties in addition to forces in Baltimore City. Hope I said that right. Uh, I know a lot of folks in Baltimore, so, you know, don't be mad at me. Uh, Dr. Daphne is board certified in gastroenterology and a diplomat of the American Board of Internal Medicine. He's affiliated with the American Gastroenterology Association, American Association, American Society of Gastro Gastrointestinal Endoscopy. Um, did I say that right? You said that right. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Well, good job. American, good job. American College of Gastroenterology, American Association. Man, this man is he is busy and and extraordinarily well qualified. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> well celebrated and uh man on several boards, community service, ancillary service development committees, so on and so forth. Um he does colonoscopies, as we were just talking about a second ago, uh, wireless capsule and in endoscopies, uh, screening for Barrett's esophagus, um, man, so on and so forth. Basically anything to do with gastric issues, gastroenterology, he is your man. Um, he has strong ties to Maryland, loves, um, not only loves to serve, but also being involved in the communities. Um, you know, while he, you know, when he's not seeing patients, he enjoys spending time with his family and uh, pursuing outside interests, including working out, uh, mountain biking, snowboarding, high performance diving, man, high performance diving, wow. That's that's a rich man's activity. Um, oh, how performance driving, which is even a richer man's activity. Sorry, um, <laughs> different community service aspects, uh, and obviously also a member of Omega South Fraternity Incorporated. So also our brother Ruth. Um, and as a part of this, and I'm sure you're gonna talk about this. Tom went through a, uh, a weight loss journey, and I'm and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it was like one of those. I need to lose weight. It's just one of those I want to get healthier type things. And basically developed a, a real um, stable and um, non, you know, gimmicky way of, uh, of weight loss and weight management. Uh, and he stuck with that over the course of some years. So uh, with no further ado, we're going to bring on Dr. Abernathy. Thank you very much for, for joining us tonight. 
and um, you know, imparting some of his wisdom. And uh, like I said, we're gonna have a series of questions, try to make it interactive, but we're gonna give you the floor and uh, we can't wait to get this information. So welcome. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me, fellas. Um, first, I want to thank you guys for the invitation to speak to you all regarding men's health. Um, and again, I'd like to congratulate you guys on starting this podcast and I continue like wishing you guys continued success. Um, I'm a subscriber, so, you know, I tune in now. Um, the goal of my discussion today is to bring awareness. I kind of want to start it off by the top 10 leading causes of death, right? And um, kind of tie it into men and then specifically tie in areas of black men's health, okay? What affects us? Um, I won't be able to cover all of those 10 subject areas in detail, given the vast amount of information, but I'll leave you with some bullet points and some highlights so that you may become an active participant and uh, invest some time in your effort in maintaining your health care um, and trying to prevent some disease, okay? Um, let's start off with a little bit of statistics, all right? The average life expectancy of a man born in 2016 is 79 years and eight months. A man who is 65 in 2018 can expect to live to be 84. And a man who is 75 in 2018 can expect to live to 86. Now, when you look at black men, you got to subtract seven years off of that because we live about seven years less than other men when we compare it to other groups, okay? Um, question to you guys, true or false? Um, women are more likely to visit the doctor for annual examinations and preventative services than men. True. True. All right, true. Yeah, I agree with you, true. Um, men are 24% less likely than women to have visited the doctor within the past year. We're 22% more likely to have neglected our cholesterol tests. We're 32% more likely to, <clears throat> to be hospitalized for long-term complications of diabetes. We're 24% more likely than women to be hospitalized for pneumonia that could have been prevented by just getting a vaccine. Um, a vaccine. Okay, so, so definitely get your vaccinations. Now, regarding black men, where 44% of us are considered overweight, about 37% are considered to be obese. Hey, I was right up in there. Um, but the national average is somewhere around 30%. Um, but we do have the highest incidence of diabetes and prostate cancer. We're 1.7 more times likely to have diabetes than Caucasian. And we're more likely to develop prostate cancer than white men, but 2.4 times more likely to die from it. So. Those are just some different things that I just kind of want to put in your head as we go through our talk that you can kind of highlight on, um, that you can kind of get from our talk. Because a lot of these things I'm going to go over today, you know, we can't prevent everything in life. There's definitely stuff that's going to pop up in our life that's due to genetics, chance, environmental exposures, but there's some other things that we can try to control. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is, you know, don't forget that African-Americans is not talked about much. I think Mike talked about a little bit in his talk in his podcast. Um, African-Americans also have, there's also a high suicide rate, right? Um, so it's the third leading cause of death in African-Americans in 15 to 24 year olds. So, you know, we definitely have to talk about mental health in our population, you know, our men, our women and things of that nature. Um, question for you guys now. Uh, what do you think are the top three leading causes of death for men? Heart disease, cancer, diabetes, gunshot wounds. Well, gunshot wounds is close. So top top three would be um, heart disease, cancer, 
and accidents. Okay, so unintentional injuries. So that would be the top three. And in women, you know, since a lot of us have wives, girlfriends, mothers, daughters, things of that nature, you know, women, you know, I don't want to forget them. So the top three in them are going to be, you know, those are the top three um, for everybody. But when we're talking about men and women specifically, you know, for women, we're talking about breast, lung and colon rectal cancer when it comes to cancer. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then for men, you got to think lung, prostate, colon cancer. Okay. So just always keep those things on your mind. Um, you say lung? Lung cancer. Yeah. Lung cancer is one of the top uh, cancers for both uh, men and women. Is that for just smokers and non-smokers alike? Um, it, majority smoking is going to be the largest risk factor, but, but definitely you can still develop lung cancer and don't smoke. Some people believe it's because of secondhand smoke and other times it could be from environment you know, work-related hazards as well. So, so just keep that in mind. Um, <clears throat> now, as far as the top 10, I'm just going to go through the top 10, but we're specifically probably going to talk about what I consider probably the top three, the four things that really are pertinent to us. Um, top 10 leading causes of death. Things to remember, heart disease, cancer we touched on. I'll go into specifically the types, but it's lung, prostate, and colon cancer for men breast, lung, colon cancer for women, accidents, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. So your smokers, right? Chronic bronchitis, emphysema. And then for African-Americans on that top four homicide, all right? That's about 5%. Um, number five is stroke. Number six is diabetes. Number seven, influenza. So your pneumonias, influenza, bacterial pneumonia, COVID pneumonia, um, that's number seven, eight, suicide, nine, kidney disease and related complications of kidney disease. And then bringing up 10 would be Alzheimer's, dementia. And for African-Americans, you know, 10 is probably like uh, high blood pressure. OK, hypertension is in there and it's related causes, not just itself, but it's related causes can lead to death. And you, you didn't mention you, uh, a liver, liver disease. Liver disease. Yeah, no, I didn't mention. There you go. I like that. <laughs> no, no, I didn't mention liver disease because liver disease is there, but, but it's definitely not necessarily one of the common causes we see. I mean, liver disease is common in, as far as um, it's there. It's just not one of the common causes of death. You know, you see it, you might be aware of it. You may know somebody that has it, and that may be because of the frequency of hepatitis C in the population. Um, it might be those patients who drink too much alcohol and develop cirrhosis, but usually liver disease is, is lower on the list. Okay. Um, so out of that top 10, you know, I know I can't talk about all of those in detail, so I'm just going to pinpoint down, you know, the, the three or four main ones that I think is important to us as men and as us as black men. Um, first, I want to talk about heart disease. Okay. Question to you guys. Can anybody tell me what heart disease is in their own words? Do you have an idea of what, when somebody says heart disease, you're thinking what? Weakening out arteries, I guess. You got all that gook and shit, you know, the, the gook in your arteries, the hardens them and weakens them and, you know, makes you susceptible to having one of them joints pop. Makes it hard for the blood to circulate. And exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and heart disease, cerebral vascular disease, where we're talking about the brain and peripheral vascular disease, all kind of share some of the same common themes. Um, a lot of times what happens is you can get narrow in those arteries and decrease blood flow to any one of those things, decrease the blood flow to the heart, 
can put you at risk for heart attack. Okay, complete blood flow blockage to the heart can cause a heart attack. All right. Same thing with the brain. You know, you lose blood flow to the brain, you're going to have a stroke. Okay, and there's many different ways that can happen. Or you lose blood flow to your extremities, like in patients who have diabetes for a long period of time. Um, you can lose blood flow to your toes, your feet, your legs, and things of that nature. So that's kind of what briefly heart disease is. They're all kind of similar to the same. So if you have a blockage of your blood vessel in your heart and it completely blocks, you have a heart attack. If it's narrow and you're exercising, you develop chest pain. Basically what's happening is that you're exercising so much that you, there's decreased blood flow because your heart vessel is not open enough. And because of that, your heart's saying, hey, I need more blood flow. You're not giving enough blood flow, so you're gonna cause symptoms, okay? What 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 about uh, irregular heartbeats? Irregular heartbeats itself? Yeah, so irregular heartbeats in itself can happen. There's many different causes of irregular heartbeats. Mm -hmm. I think there's sometimes, as a physician, we get worried when patients have irregular heartbeats without necessarily a reason or rationale. So a lot of times we'll start screening patients for heart disease because a mild heart attack, unknown or a silent heart attack, can lead to irregular heartbeats. Mm -hmm. Okay, or some other forms of heart disease, like an enlarged heart, can cause irregular heartbeats to occur, and it's good to kind of figure out which type of heartbeat it is. Do you say unknown heart attack? Say that again. Do you say an unknown heart attack? Unknown heart attack. Yeah, yeah. I call them kind of like a silent heart attack. So a patient, for example, you may have had some chest pain you blew off the other day as being heartburn. You didn't do anything about it. You know, you just kind of tolerated, you stayed at home, you toughed it out, symptoms eventually went away, and you somewhat felt better, but then you came in the hospital three or four days later feeling short of breath, not being able to climb up the steps, and then when they do that workup, they realize that, oh, you have decreased heart function. Then they go back and start looking at your heart and realize that, oh, you had a heart attack before in the past. So, yeah. so sometimes- wow. Yeah, so sometimes that can happen, Is you know, so it's not necessarily silent. It's just that in some cases, patients have ignored that symptom. Yeah, because yeah, I had my chest pain hey. scare. I went to the hospital and, uh, you know, the lady told me, like, they could take, when they draw your blood, they can tell if you've got any kind of heart distress going on. Correct. You know? Right, they can. And they then, can have heart injury. They can kind of detect that. If you don't have any active injury at that time, but you have some risk factors for heart disease, then they could probably send you to a cardiologist and kind of, you know, work you up from that standpoint to see what your risk factors are. You know, yeah, but then the next morning, boy, yeah. they, uh, they kept me overnight, right? Because you say heart, you know, chest pain, you go in, well, I got to keep you overnight. I've had some of the best sleep I've ever had in my life. Actually. <laughs> uh, and they were like, we got to do a stress test. They take me to the stress test. Yep. That shit almost gave me a heart attack. That <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I ain't never had to run like that. I had to run like that when I played football. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, right. so, so, real, you know, just to, to bring us back a little bit, we have two Morehouse brothers, man, and I'm not mentioning their names for privacy issues. But uh, recently, that we all know, um, or not, we all may not know, but at least two or three out on this call know, who just had triple bypass surgery. Uh, and, um, and I know, Tom, you may know this, but. Uh, what is the reason, the causes for having to have a triple bypass? Well, usually for triple bypass, what ends up happening is, is that usually the, the amount of arteries that are blocked in the heart mm -hmm. are usually either too many to put a stent in to open them up, 
Mm-hmm. And, and therefore, patients aren't necessarily being the candidate for angioplasty. Angioplasty is where they put a catheter and a balloon into the heart and go down to that narrowed artery and open it up again. Or if it's a closed artery that clotted off, they can pass a wire through there and balloon it open again and, and, re, um, and uh, uh, allow blood to flow to that section of the heart again. And sometimes they put a little stent in there. So depending on the certain criteria that you use, if you have more than one or two blood vessels or two different big blood vessels where you have disease in your heart, a lot of times they'll recommend a patient to have uh, a bypass rather than doing the stent. Okay. Hey, Tom, you know, um, on the subject of heart disease, it's it's interesting because I guess it's not a it's not a secret that that has played our community right on a whole. Uh, So we know that what what would be the suggested like offset to that? Like what could someone do to either prevent heart disease or if they are in some kind of like moderate stage of heart disease, try to correct or reverse it? Okay. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I mean, that's right on point. Um, So there are several risk factors that we can change and there's several risk factors that we cannot change. So I tend not to worry about the stuff that we cannot change because, Mm. you know, we can't change it. But the Mm -hmm. stuff that we can change, you know, put all our efforts in those arenas and try to at least knock off several of those risk factors. You may not be able Mm. to knock off all of them, but if you can knock off seven out of eight, that's good. Six out of Mm. eight, good. Mm -hmm. Um, So what are some of those risk factors that cannot be changed? Your age, right? We all we all get old. Your age, um, family history. If you have a family history of heart disease, you know your your mother, your father had a heart attack, um, age forty and under. You know, age fifty and under. That's a risk factor right there. You know, you should be somebody I would send to the cardiologist right away, saying, "Hey, you need to get screened early." Um, if you already had a heart attack or a stroke, or you have a history of uh, peripheral artery disease, you're at a high risk. And then just us being men we have a higher risk more so than females, okay? Um, Now, what can we change, right? So there are certain things we can change and improve on. Um, High blood pressure, right? That's the risk factor we can change um, to some degree, all right? There's some people that can be, look like fit and they still have high blood pressure. There's some genetic variations there, right? That part, you know, you just can't fit. That's gonna be a gene thing. Um, High cholesterol, hyperlipidemia, for the most part, that we can control unless you have the genetic version where you're just genetically predetermined to have high cholesterol and things of that nature. And you're going to be somebody who's going to be put on medications. But again, as I go through these risk factors, remind you, even though you have high blood pressure, that's not the big deal. The big deal is if you have high blood pressure, is it controlled? Right? So keep that in mind. You know, it's not a big deal if you have high cholesterol, if it's controlled, right? Um, Smoking, diabetes, being overweight, there you go. You're on it. Um, those people don't exercise enough or like excessive alcohol use, you know, so those are some risk factors that, that we can work on. All right. <laughs> yes, indeed. Excessive. That's, that's kind of subjective. <laughs> Which deemed excessive? Y'all stop pointing at me, man. <laughs> hey, wait, look here. I'm on ginger ale today, brother. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. But but there's but there's other people that feel like that, you know, having a glass of, of wine every night, you know, is, is good for you, you know. So and then there's our observation that we see with a lot of our patients who are alcoholics. A lot of a lot of those patients really don't have heart disease. We really don't see it. They die of other issues, though. 
So I, I don't advise <laughs> that. Not heart disease. Right. Wow. Not heart disease. You know? <laughs> you know? I did not know alcohol cures heart disease. Is that what you just said, Doc? No, no, I didn't say yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Boy, no, so, it is, you know, it's the occasional one glass of wine or the occasional like twenty-two beers, right? Right. Well, well I don't know about the twenty-two two beers. You know, beers. Oh, oh, it's two, not twenty-two. Most physicians, you know, we kind of characterize alcohol as far as grams of alcohol. So we usually kind of say one shot is equal to four ounces of wine, which is equal to one eight ounce beer, which is uh, yeah, that's all pretty much has about the same amount of alcohol in it. So that's just alcohol, but. Um, but, but now I'm good. I've, I had that too. It's been too confused all this time, bro. I appreciate right, that. Good, good. So look, so as we enter this gray area of life, you know, always kind of that 40s, the gray area, the life where, you know, you're young enough where things shouldn't happen, but it can happen. You know, always kind of consider that the 40s and it kind of freaks me out a little bit, but, but it is what it is, you know, so just going forward in life, you know, what are some of those symptoms of stroke symptoms and heart disease you need to be aware about, right? Because it's all about you when you're working out and exercising, you know, yeah, you know, you can get short of breath, but you shouldn't be short of breath if you climb like a flight of steps and you got to stop halfway going up. You know, there's something wrong with that, right? Um, chest pain, sweating profusely when you're having that chest pain, nausea, vomiting, chest pain, um, any of those prior symptoms that you're having with exertion, you know, you're lifting, taking the suitcase out of the car, you're walking into the hotel and you have to stop halfway across the parking lot because you feel short of breath or you feel that like discomfort in your chest. Yeah. That's like a warning sign. So definitely, you know, let somebody know. Um, and then as far as, you know, since we're talking about heart disease, I always like to throw something in there real quick about stroke because stroke is that other emergency type of thing that everybody needs to uh, know about. Because if you can get to hospital soon enough, they can actually give you some medication and some treatments to reverse the stroke, okay? So acute weakness on one side of your body, you all suddenly start slurring your speech and you haven't been drinking for the night, you know, that's a warning sign. You know, vision loss, um, that's gonna be some things there. Okay. Let me, uh, uh, since you mentioned stroke, um, so you said that what type of feeling, if you get like a numbness, I get this feeling sometimes, I cycle. And sometimes when I'm done cycling, I get a numbness feeling on the left side, sometimes the right side. Right. But it, right. It, it's uh, it, it's not for a long time. It's just for a short period of time. Right. So, so for example, yeah, so for you, I think if it was right after you were cycling, then I would probably tie it into your cycling and whatever your body position is on the bike. It's probably where you going north or where you going south. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mentioned it to my doctor. He was just telling me that he said that it's the position of the bike, or he asked me what size bike, and I got all those adjusted. I still get it sometimes. I think it was just uh, he just said that you know. Then I told him how many miles I might ride. He said, "Man, you might need to shorten up your miles, you know, because I get out there and I just you just I go out there and I start riding." Right, right, right. Hundred miles and everything, right? Yeah, he just told me to shorten them up. He said, yeah, 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 no, "No, no, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think when you're in a bike, you're at a certain position and you're probably compressing some nerves either in your legs or you're sitting a certain way, and a lot of times you can get that numbness and tingling um, that can occur, and eventually it goes away. And if it's like that associated with exercise, that doesn't necessarily raise a red flag and alarm symptom for me, rather than you saying you just got out your car and you're walking." Okay. Back inside the house and all of a sudden you just feel all this numbness and tingling out of the blue um, and you're not doing anything, you know, that's a little bit more concerning. You want to be able to explain that. 
Hey Tom, you mentioned something earlier, and 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 I'm I'm asking it because I know we all. Well, I'm gonna say me for instance. You know, as as men, we think, hey, well, I, I felt that, but like you said, I'm gonna tough this out, or it wasn't as bad as I thought. So like earlier when you mentioned like a chest pain or discomfort, and you know, like what can you kind of describe what that would feel like if it's just like, well, I, I pulled a muscle chest pain or I'm having a heart attack chest pain, or is it cramping in my heart or, right. you know what I'm saying? Or, or the discomfort, like what, what does, can you describe it? I guess is what I'm trying to get at because I, I know for me, I could feel something be like, ah, oh, man, ain't nothing. And like I said, I just go on, but shoot, it could be something. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. No, no, it's true. It's true. Um, the best way I can kind of put it in, in terms would be if it's just uh, what I listen for when people come in, in the office or if I pick it up, um, is can that symptom that you're complaining about be reproduced or not, right? So if you're thinking about it's a mm -hmm. muscle injury or a strain, in theory, we should be able to sit there and reproduce that in the office, right? So if you've been lifting weights and bench pressing and your chest is sore and you keep pointing to the same spot, then I should be at least be able to maneuver your chest and be able to kind of push in that one area to reproduce that type of pain. And if I can't, then I kind of get worried because you are doing something stressful I can't reproduce it, but it only happens when you exercise, you know? So that's kind of one mm -hmm. of those red flags that kind of pops up in mind. And then it's just a matter of going through some of those risk factors I named earlier, right? You know, you know, are you somebody who's overweight? Do you smoke? Do you have a family of heart disease? In the back of my mind, as we're sitting there talking, I'm going through that list. And the more I check off, or I'm probably going to reroute you either back to your primary care doctor. Or I'm going to say, hey, look, you need to take an aspirin every day and go see your cardiologist. Or, you know, let's get you plugged in with somebody and make sure your heart's okay. Because it does happen. Yeah, you know? yeah it does happen. Uh -huh. So you just want to make sure that you can at least explain the symptoms. Heartburn is tricky because heartburn, for the most part, you know, it sent me to a cardiologist. You know, I had heartburn, mm -hmm. typical I treat heartburn every day, but I felt something funny. It was different. And I just never felt that feeling before for heartburn. And I kind of got, you know, I felt like I'm in the forties, you know, you're in that gray area in life. Mm -hmm. You're in theory healthy, but things happen. So I went and I ended up getting this workup and stuff like that ended up being fine. But I just realized that that was a different manifestation of my heartburn. And then after that, I just stopped drinking coffee so much because I realized I'm in my 40s. I don't need that anxiety throughout the day. You know, I walk down the hallway mm -hmm. and I'm thinking I'm going to have a heart attack in the middle of the day. So I just back away from that. So those are some of the things that you just got to be able to explain. So if you have heartburn one night and you're taking Maalox, Mylanta, Tums, and it's not going away and, and you can't get restful sleep at night and you have several of those risk factors and you start breaking out in a the sweat, then... I say go to the ER, you know, have them sort it out, do EKG, mm -hmm. make sure everything is okay. Oh, you know what I thought God. about, man? I got a question. Real quick, Tom. cool. Let me, I, I got to say something relevant to what you just said, real quick, cool. Uh, okay. You know, the thing about it is when you got insurance, right? Yeah. And you got yeah. some kind of chest pain or anything that's bothering you, what kind of fool would ignore the signs and just be like, oh, I'm going to be all right? Man, shit. All this money I paid to get a private room at the hospital, all of that? <laughs> I'm gonna get checked in, bro. You know what I'm saying? Say it again, Kobe. Say it one more time. There's you no gotta, need to go on home if you got if something's going on. Go to the doctor. Go to the hospital. You know what I'm saying? Because you uh -huh. hear stories all the time about people that say, "Well, yeah, we're at the grocery store and it said his chest is hurting, and then we came home, we laid down, and died." Yeah, uh -huh. uh -huh. kid. 
Go ahead, cool. My bad. Chelsea, that is an alert. If you feel bad as a black man, go to the doctor. Go to the hospital. Alert, alert, alert. Correct. Yeah, this good. is my question. This is my question. So, so first of all, thank you for being here, brother, man. It's a pleasure. We definitely appreciate it. And you oh, put down you. those things about how these things affect black men. What can we do? I'm a guy to try to work out, try to eat right. So to kind of give us some, some things we can do that we can control to help us, you know, mitigate some of those risks of the heart disease and things of that nature. What can we do? Oh, what can we do? Okay. Um, all right. Well, you know, that kind of, I, goes- you know, I, I got to live a long time. I'm looking good. More house in the building. Come on now. We got right, to right. live, baby. All right. <laughs> Let right, me right. live. All right. So, Luxurious so beer, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, hey, you know, but that, that's my goal. My goal is to give you guys some knowledge. So at least as you go through, you can work off of some of those risk factors that you have out there. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to jump ahead and give you some of these tips and see if we could tie it to the diseases that I kind of discussed, right? So I'm going to see if you guys can match what I'm saying as far as what you can do to which disease we threw out there. All right. Let's do it. And then, and then we'll wrap things up with colon cancer and prostate uh, cancer. because Those are two big ones on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So being active, controlling your cholesterol, eating better, managing your blood pressure, losing weight, and reducing your blood sugar. They all help prevent what? What diseases? Diabetes. Heart, heart disease. disease. Heart disease. Diabetes. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Heart disease, diabetes, stroke. Mm-hmm. Okay. So mm-hmm. I say all of them, really. Exactly. A lot of them, right? A lot of them you just knock right out the ballpark if you can kind of do those. Um, all right. What about stopping smoking? There's more than one answer for that. You know, you've got the obvious one. Heart disease. Obviously lung, lung cancer. cancer. Well, obviously lung, lung cancer. cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Heart disease. Heart, heart disease. Right. Definitely heart disease, stroke as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the tidbits, you know, so usually like when you, when you smoke, some people say your heart vessels are supposed to be nice and open, but uh-huh. when you smoke a cigarette, for the next 30 minutes after you smoke a cigarette, your blood vessels collapse down yeah. like this and become mm-hmm. all tight, right? So, so I got a question. I, now, I'm not a weed smoker, so I'm just asking just for the you know general uh, population. Yeah. Um, uh, what about weed? I was In terms of like that. weed versus yeah. weed smoke versus cigarette smoke. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I'm not sure there's enough data out there, you know, yet to kind of know what are these patients who smoke weed, say, every day for the next 10 years, what are their risks of developing lung cancer to the average population? I think a lot of that lung cancer data has always been extrapolated from patients who smoke like tobacco, right? Mm. Just like lips and tongue cancers related to chewing tobacco. and things Yeah, chewing, yeah. Um, so so I, I really don't know. I really don't know. Well, I had heard back in the day, somebody was saying like the reason why people were using blunts versus like zigzags and roller papers was because it was the paper and the freeze dried tobacco that was causing the lung cancer issues, not the actual tobacco leaf or like the marijuana leaf. And that's why, you know, it's better to smoke blunts with tobacco or whatever. But that was all like, you know, that was like urban legend. That's just what people were, you know, were saying. I didn't see anything scientific about that. But you don't really see the same, it doesn't seem like you see the same correlation of lung cancer with weed, you know, chronic weed smokers, because right. we all know some, right. um, versus, you know, those people that are smoking 10 packs a day. And I'm not even sure what the equivalence is. You know, 10 packs a day is like a sack, like a 20 sack. I'm not sure what that, what the mathematical correlation is. Right, correct. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, I probably think we probably won't see that probably for the next 20 years. So as those chronic weed smokers get older, we'll start to see what those 
risk factors are, right? Because a lot of those patients that we're seeing with lung cancer today, those are the ones that have been smoking, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, you right. know, all the way until now. So I think we'll see that with marijuana, just like we're seeing increasing patients with GI symptoms because of marijuana. You know, I never thought that I'd be seeing patients in my office and their diagnosis is they smoke too much marijuana. They come in with <laughs> nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, and they keep coming in with nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain and come to realize they smoke marijuana. So now you have this wow. subset of patients where you know they're young, they're in their 20s, they're in your office with nausea and vomiting all the time. You rule out several other things and you realize, hey, these guys smoke weed every day. So, you so what's the so, so Tom, so Tom, could you address this too? You know, a lot of guys, you know, play golf with things of that nature. They think cigars are a little different than cigarettes. Could could you address that as well? Uh, in, in, in the form of smoking cigars on a daily basis? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, on a daily basis. I know. I mean, I still think the same things. I mean, I like a cigar myself every now and then, but the reality of it is I do know that that, that does increase your risk. You know, that can definitely increase your risk for tongue cancer, lip cancer, cancer within your mouth, throat and neck cancer. Um, mm. Depending on if you inhale, of course, anything that you inhale is going to increase your risk some more. Right. Um, but but again, it's you know it's one of those things that if you can minimize, great. If you can avoid them, probably even better. But what? Okay. But you you had mentioned uh, you had patients or you you've heard of patients come in that smoke uh, a lot of weed and they've been they complained about what the dizziness or being nauseous or something. Nauseous, yeah, nausea, vomiting. So the medicinal, uh, what is that? Medicinal weed that uh -huh. is sold that is prescribed to you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, those patients you really don't see. Well, those patients who are using it occasionally, mm -hmm. you usually don't see them in the office. It's usually those ones that are, tend to do it daily. You know, those tend to be the ones that end up having GI symptoms that we actually end up seeing in the office. Um, I can't mm -hmm. think of any patient that I've seen who may smoke weed once or twice a month where they're coming to the office with a GI complaint that I actually picked that up, per se. What's he doing to the GI tract? Mm -hmm. what, what's it doing to the GI tract? What's the issue? Yeah, I'm not sure everybody knows. I think it's more or less like a central mediated effect more so than anything else like that. I think it's a brain gut response that's kind of occurring, you know, with that. Um, but but no, not necessarily a direct GI effect. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hey, Tom, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, one of the things about what we can control and one of those things was diet, right, and exercise. Correct. As it pertains specifically to diet, one thing you always hear, whether we're talking about these types of diseases or not, the importance of drinking water. How important is it to consume water uh, daily for flushing your system to keeping things on track to just your overall health? Like in terms of water, what you know, can you can you speak to that benefit in terms of the health and diet regime that you need? Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I think I think overall drinking water has definitely several benefits, but I haven't necessarily seen any studies that say that you need 64 ounces a day or eight mm -hmm. glasses five times a day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to be honest with you, I'm kind of very rational when it comes to stuff, because you'll see a lot of different things in a book. But the reality of it is, is that the way I kind of decide for myself, if it's healthy, is that one, does it decrease any health problems that you have? Is it going to help decrease prevention or prevent something? Or three is going to increase your life, uh -huh. you know, and that can hold true for anything, vitamins and things of that nature. So, you know, you really have to look at that data and kind of see if it helps, you know, but definitely trying to drink 
drinking more water would uh, definitely allow you to kind of, you know, you feel fuller more, um, things that nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hold on, you said in the book, you talking about your own book? Huh? No, nah, he's just in saying in, de- in general. In oh, general. like, okay, okay. I'm like, whoa, do we miss a plug? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. In, general, in, general, in general. No, no, no. Yeah, in general. yeah. In general. Yeah. So, um, let's see what I want to ask you guys. All right, so here, a few more a few more health tips for you guys, right? Um, let's see. Um, what... To get a PSA test, we haven't touched on this yet. Anybody know what a PSA test is and what important? Prostate that? cancer. There you go. So make sure you get that for prostate cancer. Um, uh, let's see what else we. Got? There are different forms of that test, though, right, Tom? Like they, so you can actually go, I guess, get the in office finger, you know, exam. You can. There's a blood test to that, right? And then there's a, isn't it like a fecal test or something like that? Well, well, there is. Well, there. Yes, and yes, and no. So not for mm-hmm. the not for the prostate. So sometimes people kind okay. of confuse them. So I'll clear it up for you guys real quick. So question for you, not not to answer your question. I'm going to answer it, but I'm going to throw it back to the audience to you guys. Where is your prostate? Do you guys know where it is? <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right, because it's kind of that thing that we hear about, but you really don't right. know where it is. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then K, KB knows where it is. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I didn't know, but I didn't know exactly where. It was. Had to hit you up in the gut. Just get back. Get back. Get back. <laughs> <laughs> no, excuse no, me, me, sir. I have had my prostate exam. Thank you. By whom? By whom? You know, so trannies don't like count. It's a small gland about the size of a walnut, and it's sandwiched between your bladder and your rectum, and it surrounds mm-hmm. your urethra, right? So your urethra mm-hmm. is that long tube that comes down from your bladder that goes to the tip of your penis. It allows you to pee, right? Your mm-hmm. urethra. So the two things that go wrong with the prostate that we all got to take away from the day is that, hey, you can get in a large prostate and you can get prostate cancer. Those are two things that are probably gonna affect every one of us at some point in time, if we live long enough, right? Mm, right. So what are some of the symptoms of enlarged prostate? You may have heard some people, your family members may have talked about this, you know, urinating more often, feeling like you have to pee urgently, or feel like you might have to pee on yourself if you don't go to the bathroom. Um, You gotta strain to pee, okay? Or when you pee, you start to dribble, right? You're like, hey, what's going on with that? Those are all symptoms of having an enlarged prostate, okay? Mm. Um, and the treatment would be shrinking your prostate gland with medications or surgery itself, okay? Mm. And then now the big one is prostate cancer, okay? What's prostate cancer about? Well, we got to know about it because one in six men in the U.S. will be diagnosed with prostate cancer in their lifetime, right? So one of us sitting in here is going to be diagnosed with prostate cancer if we live long enough, all right? It's the second causing leading cause of death and cancers regarding men. African-Americans have the highest rate of prostate cancer in the world. Um, we're 50% more likely to develop it compared to white men, and we're 2.4 times more likely to die from it. But with early detection, you got 98% survival rates, okay? So remember, early detection is basically, you wanna get the screening done before you have symptoms, and, and, and that's always gonna be key. So what age do we screen for prostate cancer? For our age group, 
It's 45. All right. So your doctor should be doing a PSA on you guys every year and they should be doing a rectal exam. A rectal exam, I do them, but the reality of it is, you know, the PSA is going to be the most important part. Okay. Because you can imagine 10 doctors doing a rectal exam, trying to determine the shape and the size of the prostate. Everybody's going to have a different opinion. Um, And then for other populations, it's age 50. Okay. Yeah. On my last physical, I go in there and, um, you know, I was like, it was getting toward the end. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm 48. I washed up and shit really good today. You know, are we supposed to do the, you know? Right. She's like, nah, dude, all we do now is blood tests. You all said, I'm like, oh, bet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Because that's going to be the most like. I told her, I was like, man, I washed up extra and shit. I made sure I was cool for you today. Made sure you were clean. <laughs> and you bought the wipes and everything. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking they was going to have the wipes, but I, I definitely made sure my ass was actually clean. You know what I'm saying? But she didn't go nowhere near it. I was like, all right, bet. You good. Time. <laughs> Nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Uh, see, that's why I got a female doctor Thompson there with them damn meat hooks and shit going in somebody's ass. <laughs> I was like, nah, oh, bro. Well, you know, some folks in. take the front when they sit inside of my fingers, you know. Uh, look at you, big fingers. Cool on that, bro. Uh, Tom, what is, it, what is it about, or is it just genetics, why um, um, blacks have a higher uh, incidence of yeah. Prostate cancer? Or is it, yeah, is it something yeah. in the environment? What is it? Well, well, I, I think genes have some role to play in it. But to be honest with you, I think it's just regular, just screening and and, yeah. and surveillance. I think I think I mean I think genetics play a role in it. Um, I think the reason why most people maybe die for it, or at least African Americans present later with what I call a little bit more extensive disease, is because we put stuff off. You know, so I no, think we don't go to the doctor. Right. Exactly. And definitely don't want to put in our ass for sure. Right. You know, that right there's a big deterrent, you know, but but I think if you can get people into the doctor sooner, you can get your screening test for blood pressure, cholesterol, things of that nature, and get those things addressed. You know, so I think that's the main thing, just getting people to come in. I mean, I definitely, you know, I see it with colon cancer all the time. I think, you know, I work at two different offices and um one office, you know, you can kind of see the difference as far as people are coming in later for their screening colonoscopies at one office. They're coming in on time at the other office. The ones that are coming in later have more advanced disease, more colon polyps. We've, I've seen the diagnose more colon cancer at that office. At the other office, people are coming in, the colons look good, may have a few polyps. So basically, basically what you're saying, one, one office is in Baltimore City. The other one is in is in Howard County somewhere. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Right. Again, another right. alert. Another alert. Go to the doctor. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? My yeah. thing get is, your, you know, I get, get your ass checked out. <laughs> Say it again, Colby. Say it again. That's so Man, important. Get your ass Hey, Tom. Wait, because think right. of, I think all this data is kind of screwed a little bit. I mean, skewed. Skewed. Excuse me. Uh-huh. Skewed because because we're going to the doctors later, right? And then we've got these big numbers of African American men. You know, but these disease because you know because a, a previous generation hate hate to go to the doctor, but right. we have to be the guys do get to the doctor so we get these numbers in line because I really believe this genetics that we have you know extremely strong. Let's get to Man. the doctor. Yeah, Dude, to my the doctor. pops, my pops didn't go get his colonoscopy for a long, long time. You know he had, uh, he had doctor, a fucking tumor. He had a tumor. It was non-cancerous, but they had to cut it out. He had to wear a bag for like six months. That history made me get my first colonoscopy at 45. I go in, they go in, find a couple of polyps, pop them shits out. They were, you know, they were non-cancerous. They woke me up. It was like, yeah, you had a couple of polyps. We got them. 
you know, looked all good. You're good to go right. and see in five years. You know what I'm saying? So, so I got my next I, I, so I was going, January. I was going to ask that, Tom, along the point of what Carl was just saying about the colonoscopy, like I, we talked about the prostate test, but when should one start with that whole colonoscopy exam? Because I never had one. I've had the prostate oh. exam thing, but I've never had a colonoscopy. Okay, well then, here you go. So great so question. That, I'm gonna go see him so tomorrow. You know, tomorrow. You know, that's my field, so you know, I'm definitely passionate about colon cancer. I've seen um, Tom twice. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I started at forty. I started yeah. at forty. Really? Right. Yeah, straight up. Because your mom, yeah. So, so you know, yeah. Yeah. So, so in 2020, you know, you know, a lot of us have seen what happened with Chadwick Boseman and things of that nature. You know, passed away at colon cancer at the age of 43. Now, with him, unfortunately, <clears> our he was diagnosed with colon cancer at a very young age and had advanced disease, which had a low cure rate. Um, mm -hmm. and the screening guidelines that we have wouldn't have really caught him because of his young age. Mm -hmm. um, so with him, he probably had some symptoms that he brought to somebody's attention. And then he was probably had some workup and then was diagnosed that way. Mm -hmm. now for us, what age should you be having a colonoscopy, right? So it's the age 45. So for African-Americans should be 45. For most other groups, until recently, it was advised to have it done at 50, but recent mm -hmm. guidelines came out to even lower for other groups down to 45. So yeah, 45, yeah. and you haven't had a colonoscopy, go ahead and go get one done. Yeah. If you're afraid to get a colonoscopy, there are some other alternatives that you can do, and I'll go through those as well. But keep in mind, colon cancer is the second leading cause of death in the U.S. Mm -hmm. One out of every 20 of Americans will get colon cancer. The death rates are 50% higher for African-Americans than whites. Mm. And the largest group that's growing nowadays, which is the reason why they kind of dropped that age down, is um, those 55 and under. Um, so the new grow guidelines are, say, to start at 45. But most of the patients that we diagnose are, uh, are probably greater than 50 years of age. Um, and that was, gotcha. that was just recently changing it to 45, right? Uh. 45 for other groups. For African-Americans, the, the data has been out for a few years that African-Americans kind of fall in a high risk population group. So for my personal practice uh -huh. for the last five years, I've always been kind of five or more years. I've been encouraging my African-American patients to get screened earlier. Okay. But I can't yep. say that all the physicians were doing that because I had several physicians and even including my wife's physician said that, no, she's at average risk. She could wait till 50. And he convinced her to wait till 50. You know, so she's finally getting one. I think, oh, yeah, hers is tomorrow. She's getting one tomorrow. But but I went ahead and got mine at 45 because I knew yeah, that. I was, and things I was planning on getting one this year for, for my physical this year. I'm, I'm getting one. I'm say, Chuck, you missed a uh, happy physical day. I'm surprised you ain't got your shit done already. Nah, because mm -hmm. because I didn't know that information. And then I read it in an article. You were supposed to get it at 45. And then I had yeah. planned on getting it. And I just it just mm -hmm. I. I was I'm on top of that prostate, like Quasi said, but I'm 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 definitely getting it this year because I always thought it was 50. You get the cold, mm -hmm. right? Right, and it has been, and and, and I kind of blame that on the medical community a little bit for not yeah. really putting it out there. And I think that's where you kind of see that discrepancy when it comes down to minorities and health, as far as you know, certain things not being pushed in African Americans as it would be in other groups, you know, mm -hmm. getting your vaccines and getting your other stuff done. So, I mean, you really got to push that 45 to everybody and tell your family members and friends and then try to get people to get over that stigmata. I mean, that's why I always tell patients if I talk about colonoscopy and their eyes get all big and they look like they're afraid of it, 
mm-hmm. off of it in that first meeting in the office, I actually back away from it and say, hey, look, there's some other non-invasive ways that you can still get screened. You know, there's a stool test that you can do. That's that's one of the things, Quasi, you were referring to. There's a stool mm-hmm. test you can do called a stool fit test. You can do that every year that looks for blood in your stool. Or you can do this stool cologuard test. You may have seen a commercial on TV about the guy, the little box that comes from the man. man. Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, so you can do that as well. All those are good tests for screening. So as long as you're getting one of those tests done, we should be able to catch colon cancer at an early stage. Well, that's good to know because like I said, I, I never had a colonoscopy before, but I have done that in, you know, dropping the male fecal yep. test. Yeah. So I've, I've done that the last two years and the, and the results were negative. So, you know, that I get, so you're saying that is a good alternative Right, yeah. but it's still good to get a colonoscopy for just for overall. Yeah, because let me ask a question. Correct. Let me ask a question yeah. relevant, relevant to that. Like the that test will determine if you got precancerous cells or precancerous tissue that comes out of your fecal matter, right? But if you got polyps, yeah. yeah, yeah. But if you got polyps that are babies that they could have knocked out in your colonoscopy, that that fecal test doesn't catch those, you know, and those can continue to grow, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Most of those stool tests are used. At, so the there's two stool tests. One detects just blood in your stool and the other one will detect blood and DNA that may suggest that you have polyps in your colon. But again, most of those studies are done to detect polyps that are of a grade of a certain size and it could detect cancer. So it depends on your thoughts. My thought is the whole idea would be to try to remove polyps before it turns into the cancer rather than finding a test that detects cancer. It's great that you found it, but I'd rather have you check me out and prevent cancer from taking place. And I just and yeah. I have a good example of that, not from that test, but I had a guy who had a colonoscopy last week um, and he just had a large colon polyp that actually had cancer within it, you know? So I was able to remove the polyp, removed it, sent it to the lab and the lab came back saying it had some cancer within the polyp. So for him, he came in at the right time to have it done. So um, if you would have waited another year or two, that probably would have been cancer and he would have been looking at surgery to remove that section of his colon. So now we know that he has polyps. He had uh, early he had a cancerous polyp that we removed. He's cancer free. And now mm-hmm. he just comes back and he just has to get his colon endoscopy at certain uh, intervals. And then you should be okay. Yeah, do that ain't shit to it, man. They put you to sleep, you don't even know they yes. I think no. I kind of <laughs> sat on the table a little bit, but it's like, hey, uh, it's you, li- you literally, literally, yeah. one, one minute you're awake, the next minute you're like giving your walking papers to leave. Pretty much. I try to stay awake, but I don't remember anything. I remember the guy. I don't like, ever remember. Yeah, I try to stay awake. I a little bit and I was out. Next thing you know, somebody is offering me some apple juice. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how it was with me when I saw you. Yeah. <laughs> when your boy did one for me, yeah. then I woke yeah. up and Tom was fucking cheesing all up in my face. While I was <laughs> Tom actually did it. Tom actually did it. <laughs> <laughs> he says, you know, I just ain't trying to say that yet. I ain't tell him yet. I've been saving that one. He's a Jay. Thirsty. Here's some apple juice, Jay. <laughs> hey, hey. So let, let me ask you all this because again, I never had it, and I and I hear you all. I've heard this term. Crazy. Got to get that done, brother. I, I appreciate. It. I'm, I'm gonna look into that and talk to my daughter about it. When you ASAP. all refer to polyps, uh, does that put any pressure on anything? Like, let's say, like you said, it, it, you, there's a polyp that's non-cancerous, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't but does it, know. Put, does it put like, any pressure like on anything in that area? No. Like, what does that do? 
not listen. I mean, to if it's pressure, it's gonna be a fucking yeah. problem. You gonna go get yeah, this shit checked yeah. out. Okay. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Because majority of these polyps that we're finding are patients who don't have any symptoms whatsoever. You know, so mm-hmm. most of those precancerous polyps we sign, you know, most patients aren't having an issue. You know, the mm-hmm. thing about it is that sometimes with colon cancer, which is tough, um, unless uh, unless it's in a certain location and it's cancer and it's symptomatic, you know, you're not going to catch it at that early stage. So if somebody's coming to me and they got weight loss, rectal bleeding, change of bile habits, they're 60 and they never had a colonoscopy ever. If we go in there and find a cancer that explains all that, mm-hmm. then, then I know that that cancer is already advanced. You know, they're looking at surgery. They're looking at, you know, some type of other treatment outside of surgery. So the whole goal for prostate cancer, and especially colon cancer, is to try to get in there and catch those things early. Because if you can catch it early um, at the stage of a polyp and prevent cancer, that's the best case scenario. If you can catch the cancer before it's spread through the colon where you require surgery, that's another best scenario. Um, you just want to catch it early. Prostate cancer is mm-hmm. one of those things as well. You catch prostate cancer early where they're just doing a biopsy or your PSA is elevated and you go see a urologist and you're plugged into that system. You're not going to die from that prostate cancer. You may have to deal with it just with surveillance and going through life. But if mm-hmm. you catch something that early because of an elevated PSA, you're going to die from something else other than prostate cancer. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. it's just those people that you see that never gone to the doctor. They're 70 years old and they have bone pain or this and that, and you come to find out they have prostate cancer that spread. And they haven't, you know, and that's, you know, they haven't been to the do- doctor in like 20 mm-hmm. years or 30 mm-hmm. years. Now, mm-hmm. the, the simplest, my key, if you don't get them bumps checked out, but the prostate cancer <laughs> ain't gonna do it to you. Pretty much, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> have to get it all checked out. Bums and that. Okay. Oh, oh, and then with that, the last one would be testicular cancer. We're out of that age group for the most part, it affects usually ages 15 to 39, but we're on the tail end of that. Yes. So testicular cancer, any, any, any lumps, any swelling or any pain that you can't explain, you know, that you got to bring up to somebody as well. Okay. Those are just self-exams that you can kind of do. You can ask your friend to do it, your female friend to do it. You know <laughs> A little Hold question. On, wait, one, one second, Chuck. I got one relative to this real quick. I used to think my doctor was just a freak. I was like, why is he rubbing my nuts like this? The fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Check, my bad. Yeah. Now, <laughs> it was just a question regarding, you know, because when we get our physical, uh, then we get those, that report back and they explain that report. And in one of my reports, I had this testosterone level for our age, and it's we're supposed to be in a range. You were low. And I was low. Yeah. And he had me taking uh, DHEA, which I right. take. Yeah. Uh, take 25 milligrams a day. And then along with uh, vitamin D. Right. Uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts about those supplements? Is there, Are we going to, as we get older, and to help us with that energy and that desire... Are those supplements we're going to have to take more and more supplements or is well, it something that we should be concerned with or just tap out? I ain't on. I don't need to do it no more. Be the old stuff. I don't want to do it no more. 
Or, yeah, or be that mean, guy. I mean, it's really hard to say. I mean, no, Kegby. Yeah, no. I mean, I mean, there was actually this article that just came out that talked about testosterone and vitamin D. I didn't have a chance to read it, but it kind of mm-hmm. went along the lines of I just kind of skimmed it. They were trying to see if some of those things are actually worthwhile. That some people may feel that we're treating over treating the vitamin D. Um, some people feel like that we may be over treating the low testosterone. Um, so I think it's really going to probably depend on are those things actually causing symptoms more so than anything else like that. So somebody has low libido, things of that nature, is testosterone worthwhile? It it may be to some to some degree, okay. Um, and it's really going to come down to the risk, you know, the side effects and the risk profile. Is it worth, you know, um, is taking a drug going to, you know, it's really just going to come down to pros and cons. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you have a low level, but you know, you just have to keep in mind sometimes numbers are numbers for certain things. And sometimes it's not about necessarily treating the numbers it's treating you as an individual. So sometimes doctors may see one of your numbers and it's abnormal and they may decide to follow it. And it's mainly because they might be trying to follow it to see if you're having symptoms because of the low numbers or not. And if you're having symptoms because of the low mm-hmm. numbers or you have certain complaints, then it might be why, uh, a reason to start you on a drug. Okay. So, 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 to back on that, right? So, so, Tom, I see a lot of these centers coming up. The men fitness center, you know, we 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 want to inject you with testosterone. We can, you know, we can do this with the vitamins, things of that nature. Are, are those things valid? I mean, is is that, is that a scam? Is that real? I mean, <laughs> is that overkill? I mean, because I'm looking I mean, at data points. I mean, yeah, yeah. a lot of guys signing up for this stuff. Right. What's thoughts on that? Yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I mean, I think my my personal opinion it's just my personal opinion is that um you know you got to think that some of those industries you know it's a billion dollar you know industry when it comes to supplements and things of that nature you know it's money and a lot of them don't necessarily have to kind of prove they don't have any hardcore data behind their supplements right so Mm -hmm. the real thing that you need to ask your physician is is taking this going to increase your life right because that's why you would be doing it right you either want to be healthier or live longer and if it's not making you healthier and you're not living longer, then my attitude is, why take it? Right? So, so, so most of the medications now, some people will say, hey, well, just taking my high blood pressure medication, should I take it? Well, yeah. Well, if you have high blood pressure and it's uncontrolled, you're at risk for a stroke. I think it's worthwhile for you to be on it, you know? So, but with supplements mm-hmm. and vitamin D, I'm kind of more or less hands off on that. You know, I, you know, mm-hmm. I have some patients that are really gung ho on it. But every now and then you have a patient that comes in and they're on like 15 different supplements. And I look at how many supplements are on and they have nausea. And I'm saying, wait, you take, you take way too much stuff. You know, I mean, mm. you know, you know. So, 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 doc, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to my question. So those, you know, those tes- those shots with testosterone shots and, and, mm-hmm. and things that Chuck talked about, is, is, does that stuff work? Is well, that I would say, is that a scam? I mean, what are your well, thoughts? I, no, I, I think some of it. I think some of it is probably depending on who's giving it and where they're giving it. I think it's it could be necessarily a scam or somebody's just trying to sell something, right? So for a lot I of I got an example too. When you when you finish, Doc, I got an example for you. Cool. Yeah, no mm-hmm. problem. So for a lot of those companies that push those products, you know, you see their advertisements in back of magazines and journals and things of that nature, and you can get it from a health food store, GNC, or somewhere like yeah. that testosterone pills or this and that they're promoting all this stuff but again what you want to do is kind of show them where's the data so i think what you have to do is kind of have that relationship with your primary care physician and kind of say hey do i benefit what i benefit from like testosterone 
You know, you know, would that be the case? Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. So like I had Chuck, like Chuck, I had a low, uh, low T, um, you know, on my physicals, you know, I saw the show like, damn. So uh, I did the uh, bio TE injectable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went to a urologist, they, you know, boom, show them the thing, they give it to you. And that, my shit that, shot. That you, is that where you, you do that? Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> it, they actually they shot a fucking, uh, they shot a fucking wafer at the, at the top of my ass. They shot a fucking wafer in me. You know what I'm saying? It was like going <laughs> and work? shoot that fucking thing in there. But you got my testosterone level up, but just in terms of like the Tom point, I didn't feel any different, right? So I didn't feel bad in terms of when they checked my shit. So, you know, and then I didn't I didn't notice any change of feeling when I was on that fucking injectable. So I was like, fuck that. I don't need to keep doing that shit. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what my shit is now, but you know, you know, everything is, yeah. you know, everything fine. You know what I'm saying? Right. Hey, I, I, I got two questions about the testosterone thing. One, um, isn't it so that your body is supposed to really develop its own like testosterone and mostly develop it through exercise, right? Like isn't isn't exercise one of those things that help to promote that testosterone hormone and keep it at a certain level? Um, well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, yeah, exercise can definitely help with a lot of things, you know, as far as that, but but a lot of times, you know, even despite exercise, you can still develop a low testosterone. Okay. So and I, then the I, other question, and then the other question I have on on the testosterone level, it's funny what's considered, and I guess it's depending on your doctor, what have you, what's mm-hmm. considered an acceptable testosterone level given the range, because I want to say something like, I know when I talked to my doctor about it, it was something like two, 200 or 250, as long as you were in that, that range. Well, yeah, but I'm saying no, but I'm saying at the minimum, like it was like either two or two fifty. As long as you were there, you were deemed within range of acceptable testosterone. But you certainly want to be like you just said, Carl, like somewhere in the eight fifty, nine hundred or some shit. Yeah, like like when you're there, you know you ain't got no testosterone level. Where if you're at two hundred, two fifty, it's like you borderline on the shit. So. Right, right, but 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 issue, yeah. So for I think for the age group, I think for forty to forty, forty to forty nine year olds, I think it's like two fifty to like nine sixteen or somewhere like that, mm-hmm. as far as that range. But but a lot of times when you see that range, you kind of go into that data a little bit because that's a big range, right? Yeah, so, it's huge so range. Somebody yeah. at three hundred is normal, and somebody at like eight hundred is normal. And the real question you have is, is that person clinically any different at eight hundred, or are they any differently at three hundred? Or does it need a 25 milligram Viagra or 100? Exactly. (laughs) So, Tom, speak to that a little bit because I am in the gym today. I ain't going to lie to you. So, I'm trying to get all the additives to be a great American for the next 50 years. Right. No, no, no. And and I do think it's worthwhile. I think if you like have like decreased desire, you know, fewer spontaneous like uh, erections and stuff like that. Um, you know, or you can have some mood swings, you know, so those things can be a reflection mm. of having low testosterone. So, I mean, if mood you notice those yeah. things and you're not depressed and you're kind of moody, um, you know, that's, that's one of the symptoms, you know, but that's one of those things that when you go to your primary care doctor with that you start, if you're talking to him and he starts checking that off in his head and he checks the testosterone and is low, then that would be somebody where I would say, okay, then it's reasonable to kind of give that person some replacement therapy. You know, yeah. So, guys, I've been on it. So, full disclosed, I've been on it since June, and it it, it appears to be working very well. 
So, okay. you know, like you said, I still got more data points to, to, to build on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very satisfied <laughs> with the results. Yeah. Right. right. Hey, yeah. Hey, Michael. As long as, and yeah. as long as they told you what the side effects are, and you're not having any side effects, you know, some patients, it can cause sleep apnea. Sometimes it can increase acne. Some people will notice when they start getting testosterone, you start to feel like a teenager again, you get some acne. No, no, but for me, it said your penis grows. It was kind of like the side effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been, I been getting the test, I've been doing the testosterone for five years now. Uh, uh, shot, so what, what you doing? No, I do the supplement. I oh, take a 25, shot, milli- shot, I take 25 milligrams every benefit. Time. Wait, are we talking about the testosterone okay. or the gas station pill? Which one are y'all talking about? No, 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 I go to the doctor and get mine from my doctor. Yeah. I buy mine from my doctor. I mean, so it depends. Every week, the left cheek, the right cheek. Yeah. I talked about that little stone. You remember Bam used to talk about that little stone? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The black ant. Yeah, yeah. Chuck on the cock pills. Chuck on the cock pills and cool on the cock shots. Yeah, <laughs> shots. So every week, the right cheek, the left cheek, yeah. switch it up. And I've noticed Damn. that uh, you know, it's, it's, the performance is really uh, amazing. I feel like I'm 18 again. I ain't, I ain't gonna lie to you. Yeah. Like, wow. Oh, yeah. 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 So do you do that separate oh, oh, from? Oh, oh, it, oh. Are you only doing testosterone, or are you doing that and something else? No. So so so, so for, great. So I go to the gym, and I've noticed my, my I've got a little stronger in the gym too, right? And so now the dude's like, "Hey man, why? because my thing was I'm gonna go to the gym. I eat what I want to eat, right? Chicken wings. So then about probably like three weeks ago, like dude, Lou, Lou got me on this. Change your diet. So you know I was bushing the diet. So then I started changing my diet. So then I started you know getting cut up. He was like, "Damn, cold man, you 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 know." You, you you looking kind of cool, but then I noticed with the first lady <laughs> that it was amazing, and she was like, "Man, god damn, dude, wh- what's going on? What are you doing?" I said, "What do you mean?" Yep. So oh, this was a testosterone pill. I yeah, mean, like, man, and man, dude, it, it's, it's a how big often you gotta get it shot. He gets it. I take a pill. You, Cool gets the right. shot. Yeah, yeah, he does a pill. He does shots, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go, hold on. Yeah. It, it's, hey, ladies and gentlemen. So wait, Chuck, the generator's back. Keep going. Johnson Manor. Be right back. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, Johnson so, Manor. I'm trying to get. So that you take so wait, a shot. Wait, hold on, Chuck. You, Chuck, your draws popping out your draws too. Your shit yeah. busting out your draws like cool. Yeah, and the desire. Yeah. It's like you got the desire. Twenty four seven. Like. Damn. And. And it's like mm-hmm. right now it's gotta be on a schedule right now because I can't, you know, I'm always wanting it. And, and you know, <laughs> and I ain't got no problems. And I'm I'm like who said I got cut up, I got stronger, I'm lean, I can and I can arrive with no problem. I don't have all the aches and pains, you know. Damn, like you're on HGH in this motherfucker. And then I I sleep good. I sleep good. Uh, what else? Uh, and I you, you if you eat right, definitely eat right. You know that's a good thing. So I should go in and fry up this chicken and catfish tonight. Yeah, I I can't I can't condone that, but no power to you, man. I I just try to 
I try to really like my, but I have a, vi a vice. My, you know, I, I get on chips a lot. I eat a lot of potato chips. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, that's, well, that's, that's, one. that's kind of what I want to clean majority of the time. I think, I think having a little chips isn't going to, you know, that's yeah. not a big, thing. but I want to, I want to uh, run by you all my life. I drank milk and uh, ate cheese and stuff like that. Dairy products. Oh yeah, that's one of the common ones there. Right now, I I can't do them. It's like bad news. Can I? Yeah. So I've been drinking milk all my life, and now yeah, I'm, all my life. What's wrong? What, what happens when you drink milk? They finish it happens. Well, I'm I'm lacto just became lactose intolerant about three or four years ago. Motherfuckers so, getting allergies and shit. Milk all my life. You know, when you hit middle age, yeah, that happens, man. Oh yeah, I understand that, but is it something? Like it, like we could offset that, or as far as I'm, a, I want to transition into a better diet. That diet, I do a little almond milk, but I'm trying mm -hmm. to acquire that taste. But I do lactose free milk. But as far as cooking with your food when you need milk and stuff like that, you buy these little supplements. But it just, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's tough because I think a lot of us, especially you see it more so in African Americans. That's probably one of the common things I'll see or I'll detect when I'm talking to African American patients. They're like, what's up with this gas? I got this gas and bloating. Mm -hmm. And for me, it happened when I was around 32, 33. I noticed when I had like a milkshake one day, it tore me up. And then from then on, you know, I couldn't really tolerate milk to that degree. I can still tolerate it some. I can tolerate, you know, cream of crab soup. I just know how to do it and when to do it. I don't mm -hmm. do it at the beginning of my meal. I'll kind of eat it halfway through my meal. Gotcha. It's towards the tail end. And I realized I could tolerate it without having any issues. But what happens is as we get older, we lose the enzyme to help us digest the sugar and milk. And when we can't digest the sugar and milk, the bacteria in your colon can, and it turns it into gas and water. Hence the gas, the bloating, the noisy stomach, and the diarrhea, depending on how much you're consuming. So going to lactose-free milk is a good thing, but you can also maybe supplement, like I go to lactose-free uh, lactose milk, but then if I'm out eating something that has dairy in it that's rich, or creamy, then I'll just use lactate tablets. So you just take some of the enzymes right before your meal. And a lot of times that will allow you to digest that sugar and milk. So gotcha. doing bacon and having stuff like that, you can probably tolerate stuff that has dairy in it if you use the lactate tablets. Cheesecake may tear you up if you don't do the lactate tablets, but everybody has, you still make some of the enzyme. It just depends. You just got to figure out what you can get away with and what you cannot. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I've always had that problem. Uh, I mean, lately, I just got that problem uh, having that same issue as Chuck, man. But I've had a question about, um, you know, I, I actually have high blood pressure in my family, right? Um, it runs on my mom's side. My grandmother had it. My mom has it. Uh, my dad, to some degree. And so, and it, you know, I've been told that maybe just genetically, we have um, smaller veins. You know, I don't know if that makes sense. But um I'm in, you know, I'm in good shape. I work out every day, um, but my high blood pressure and I is my high blood pressure is still elevated. And so I, for the first time last year, or not even last year, probably about right before the pandemic hit, I started getting on uh, blood pressure medication, mm -hmm. you know, to try to manage it. Um, and so it's brought it down, but it's not, you know, it's still kind of jive like elevated. Um, now I don't eat the best, like, you know, I, I eat probably, I have a cheat day every Friday and I probably don't eat the best consistently. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I can feel when I've had too much salt intake, like it literally makes me anxious. Like if I, you know, like I, I can feel my heart rate or, you know, if I've had like Chipotle and I put, and as the meat has been salted a little bit more than it should be, mm-hmm. then I can actually feel that and be like, damn, they put too much salt in there. Is there anything that I can do other than that? I mean, other than just work out and doing what I'm already doing? Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think that you're doing, I mean, it sounds like you're doing a good job health wise, you know, you're keeping your weight down, you're trying to eat right and things of that nature. Um, salt plays like some role in it, um, you know, so to try to minimize some of that extra salt that you may be doing. But but given that there, there might be some genetics playing a role into the high blood pressure, um, it, it would be pretty much just trying to push your doctor to kind of find ways to kind of get that blood pressure down a little bit more. I think sometimes um, I was just reading an article the other day about the discrepancy sometimes among African-Americans when it comes down to certain diseases about their doctors pushing um you know, they may let things ride a little bit in an African-American patient, but they're Caucasian patient, they may push them down a little bit lower. So that may play a role in like the discrepancy as far as those numbers. Um, but usually if I have a patient who's still high despite blood pressure medications, I try to get them to get referred to, a, they actually have a specialist for that, you know, so some cardiologists specialize in high blood pressure alone or some internal medicine physician specialize in that as well. So seeking out that route and saying, hey, I have a family history and you want to get your blood pressure under control up under that 120 over 80 mark, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of want to be up under that um, right. and, and kind of use that for a goal. All right. You know, but otherwise, but I'm not taking anything away from whatever you're doing as long as you don't smoke and, and you're- Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't smoke or anything like that. I mean, you know, under the, you know, I don't smoke consistently. <laughs> like I, right. I definitely- cigarettes and stuff like that so i'm just wondering like um yeah it scares me because i don't have you know i don't have any other issues but i mean that is a major yeah. issue you know what i mean so right exactly, that, that's exactly. And, and, and the key for that for high blood pressure just with some of those risk factors with some of those other disorders is, is is as long as you keep those numbers in that normal range where it's kind of controlled and you follow normal with meds mm-hmm. then i think overall i think that you're doing okay you know yeah I think that's going to be the main thing. That's going to decrease your risk for stroke, blindness, heart disease, kidney disease, and things of that nature. Tom, I got a couple questions. Shit. Um, I came about across something. His, he about to get his invoices out a minute, man. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one day, is, it, <laughs> is there any uh, validity, do you think, to uh, eating towards your, your blood type? Eating towards your blood type? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of skimmed that article with blood type. I don't think so. I don't think so. Not in my opinion. I mean, I haven't gone into detail about that, but from from what some of the things that I've kind of read about it and skimmed about it, it seems a little bit gimmicky per se. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I have a cousin actually who, who swears by it. I mean, he lost weight, but then again, when you look at what he's done, he's basically just put himself on a healthy diet, cut back his portions, and I think he slimmed down his weight that way. So. Right. Um, but to tie it to a blood type, yeah, I don't think it has to be that tough. Well, I started a diet, Cool alluded to it, um, and the more I read about it, I don't know um, how effective it could be for the purpose that I took it. Um, the alkaline diet, <clears throat> I um, had a, a, a battle, a battle in cancer now. Right, right. And... Um, 
you know, the say that the uh, cancer thrives in an acidic environment. So I wanted to try to make it um, more alkaline. Right. And uh, I started the alkaline diet for that purpose. Right. Byproduct is I've lost a ton of weight. But um, kind of like what you alluded to with your cousin, mm-hmm. um, it's all healthy. My diet now is completely healthy. I'm eating healthy. So it's not uh, it's not shocking that I've lost all this weight. Um, but um, the more I read about it, that the the alkaline that the food that I'm eating is doesn't doesn't affect your blood, um, and that your blood has its own or your body has its own um, system or ability to regulate your pH in your blood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And eating your food, eating the food doesn't really affect that. What, what's your, your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't, I haven't had a chance to read about the alkaline diet per se. Um, you know, so I can't comment too much on the alkaline diet or, or how it affects you per se. Um, I, I just try to keep things pretty simple when it comes down to diet and try to look to kind of see what data do they have as far as decreasing anything, as far as, you know, um, decreasing your risk of disease, um, increasing your, your, your life, you know, what is that diet going to do for you, you know, and try to follow it that way. Cause a lot of times people can come up with different types of diets and we all go through them. But to me, they all come down to the same basic principles, you know, get the body as healthy as you can, um, exercise, keep your weight down low, um, and, and protect yourself other ways by your vaccinations, your healthcare screening and stuff and things of that nature. But it, uh, unfortunately I can't speak to the alkaline diet part. I just don't know enough. About I mean, it's, it's, when you look on it, look at it, it's, it's just healthy eating. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So when it comes down to it, right. And it could be, right. It could be that, the, that that is the case. And again, mm-hmm. with a lot of those diets, when you start looking at some of them have different, you know, stress, different tidbits here and there, whether or not you do Atkins, low carb, paleo, the reality of it is, is that any one of those diets allow you to eat healthy. And it's just a matter of, you know, eating the right portions, keeping that calorie content within range. You know, my feeling is my, my overall gut feeling is that everybody should eat like they have diabetes. Mm-hmm. You know, if everybody ate like you had diabetes, then everybody would be a lot healthier because you're only eating so many calories a day. So mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If you could do that on Friday, eat whatever you want, or Saturday, you know, you eat whatever you want, then that's probably fine. I just try to eat clean. Me personally, I just try to eat very clean Monday through Friday. And then I probably pretty much do that Saturday as well. And if I cheat, it's usually on like a Sunday. It's a weird day. So, so, Doc, the people want to know, man. First of all, thank you for being here again. What do you eat on a daily basis? Chelsea, <laughs> get this. It's very important. Doc, what do you eat on a daily basis? Uh, daily basis. I usually will do this high-protein version of oatmeal in the morning. It has about 14 grams of protein in it and probably like four carbs. And that's mm-hmm. What exactly is that? I mean, break that down to us. Is it oatmeal? Yeah. Just break it down to what What exactly is that? What, what do you, yeah, what do you yeah. eat? Yeah. So usually I'll do like a serving size of steel cut oatmeal. And then you usually I have like some protein powder I put in there. And, and usually what type? What type? Uh, shoot. I can't think of it. It's um whey protein. I think it's like 
whey protein. It's just like um, okay. isoprotein, isoprotein, isopure. I can't think of. Yeah, they got a shitload of them. You know, you can go to yeah, you know, so, GNC yeah, and buy one. Yeah, but it's just one of those ones. It's just one of those ones you use for the gym, and it's whey okay. protein. It's okay. twenty five grams in a scoop. I take a half a scoop, put that in my oatmeal, okay. stir that up, and then usually have a cup of coffee. That's usually breakfast. Mm-hmm. Black coffee, lunch, right? Lunch, I wean myself off of bread. I mean, I love bread like Jay and stuff like that. Now, you see sandwiches for lunch all the time, but I don't eat bread for lunch anymore. So I basically just How about snacks? Lunch. Any snacks in between lunch? No snacks? Uh, No snacks between... Not for me. Okay, not cool. So, so breakfast, breakfast so now we're lunch, so... Lunch. And then okay. uh, lunch is usually just uh, a salad and mm-hmm. usually I do one of those, you know, those sun-kissed uh, tuna packets. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. one of those. I put that in my salad, and I have some low-calorie, um, sugar-free Walden's uh, dressing, and I use that for the salad. Okay. And okay. that's pretty much I do that. Like, I get teas at work all the time. Everybody knows I got salad for lunch. But for okay. me, it works, and, and I'm good. Um, mm-hmm. And then for a snack, I usually, like, around 2 o'clock, I'll snack on some uh, beef jerky. And okay. I, I'll do that, some spicy beef jerky. And I may have like another protein shake around that time. And then for dinner, I usually try to stick to seven grams of whatever protein, whether it's seafood, fish, chicken, two cups of veggies. And then I usually, for dessert or something, I'll allow myself one treat during the day, like one of those Atkins bars, or I'll do, um, usually I'll stick to like those Atkins bars. Or sometimes I may just have like a, cookie or something like that if I decide something sweet because I know for the day I can do that and I won't gain any weight. Strong. Here, here's the thing, man. Um, and oh, I hold, think hold that, a second, Jay. Hold on a second. Chelsea, make sure you, 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 you cut that because that's very that, that's value information for our client base. What he just said. Cut that. But go ahead, Jay. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, but I, here's the thing, Cool and, and, and Doc. We, we talk about the risk factors uh, with black men mm-hmm. and uh, what what I, I think what we haven't talked about is one of the reasons why it, it, it's you named everything that you did from a, your daily intake right. and that takes one that's preparation two that is more probably costly like I'd be willing to take how much money you actually spend in actually you know, buying, preparing your foods or what have you, and, and yeah. actually going to a certain grocery store to get those items. Yeah. And I think the problem with especially the black male population is that one, there's a, there's, you know, we don't, there's an access issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a lack of being able to prepare it. Cause a lot of those times in order to be in shape and to stay and eat healthy, you've got, you've got to prepare your food ahead of time. Um, a lot of times, but I think with a lot of black men, a lot of black folks, period. We don't, we live in neighborhoods that don't have access to those healthy foods mm-hmm. and healthy food, healthy food is actually more expensive than eating your, your, your bullshit, eating, you know, yeah. your Popeye's and, yeah. and the stuff which you can get quickly. Five and Burger King and shit. Right. You know, in DC, you go to a carryout, you can get full off of, a, you know, wings and, and French fries for five, $6. You know, but if you're doing that, you're going to have high blood pressure. You're going to have diabetes and all types of stuff by the time you're 35, 40 years old. But right. it's right. easy to make. It's I mean, it's easy to purchase. Um, it, 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 there's no preparation involved. You just go and buy it. One of the hardest things I found in trying to 
eat right is is really trying to find you know the not necessarily you, you know you probably have the, we have the money to to purchase that but trying to find the right foods you know and then being able to try to constantly prepare it all the time and I, I think that's that's one of the reasons I think black folks are at risk more so than any other ethnic group, especially white folks, is because we don't have access to healthy foods and it's a lot more expensive. No, 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 it is, Jay. I mean, I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna lie to you. I think that uh, uh, when I kind of started down that journey to try to lose the weight, I mean, definitely I've been to the grocery store more in the last three years than I've ever been. I mean, because mm-hmm. the relevant is to get those salads in a form that I'm gonna be consistent with my diet, I gotta buy, usually I'll buy individual salads, right? And that may take, I may go to a grocery store every week to do that, you know? But I know for me in my busy lifestyle, I've learned that, you know, you really have to focus on yourself as far as what works for you. You know, what's gonna allow you to be successful from Monday through Friday? I'm, mm-hmm. not, a, I'm not a meal prep person, I'd be lying to you if I said I'm going to sit out Sunday and pack all my meals for all five days a week. You just get that's it done for you at the store. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's not going to happen. I don't have a desire. Now, I'll go and buy five salads on Sunday. So when some Monday morning comes and I get up from the gym or whatever, I go to the refrigerator, grab my salad, grab my packet of tuna, grab me a knife and fork. My salad dressing was already in packets and low calorie. I throw that in the bag and I'm out of the house in five minutes. You know, that's my type of preparing and packaging that I can commit to. And yes, you're right. It definitely is more expensive. You know, I know some people who cook all their meals on Sunday, package up all their chicken, cut up all the breast of chicken. I give them for that, but I just can't do that. I know when I tried that, it just didn't work. I couldn't be consistent. Yeah. You need to, I've learned it's not how fast you get there. You just got to come up with something that's going to be consistent that you can commit to every day and kind of get it done. And with uh, access to different foods, I think you're right, Jay. I think it's trying to teach those people who live in those areas, what are your extra choices that you have? Yes, you might be able to go to fast food or Wendy's, but you still have some healthy options at Wendy's that are healthier than other options, right? You know, we all get caught out on vacation where I didn't bring anything. I'm at the beach or I'm at so-and-so and I got to choose on that menu. Am I going to eat this or that? And what you may elect to do is say, you know what, I may eat a burger, but I'm just going to not eat it on a bun, get rid of the carbs and just eat the burger and use that for my protein, get some extra lettuce and eat it clean like that and call it quits. Or I'll just get the salad. It's not the best salad, but I'll just get the salad, you know, and don't get the dressing and things of that nature. And then folks will laugh at me because I'm the type of person I'll bring salad dressing when I go out to eat because I realize that, you know, when I'm really trying to be clean. I'll just pack a few salad dressing packets, throw them in my pocket, and we sit at a restaurant, I'll break it open and put it on my salad, mainly because I just don't want the extra 300 calories. Because when you look at it in the day, would you rather have a cookie or would you want to have a plate of salad dressing? I'd rather have the cookie if I'm going to eat the calories. Thank right? you. You know, so it's just a matter of trying to fine-tune that diet. And that takes time. I mean, you know, it takes, you know, what I tell people Discipline. when you're trying to lose weight, it takes three months to takes about four weeks to develop or what they say three weeks to get a habit yeah three weeks for a habit yeah three weeks for a habit but it takes three to six months to get the discipline to kind of say no to stuff to walk in and look at a whole box of crispy cream donuts <laughs> and just like look at it sitting there and you just kind of just roll out you know you look at it you're like yeah all right not today and you just leave you know that takes time you know mm-hmm. yeah i feel like shit i ate six of them motherfuckers yesterday damn 
Hey. <laughs> oh, call it me no this. It don't roll that, but hey, brother, this this is the, the, the whole purpose of the podcast, man. It's the reset button. If you know right, better, we gotta do better. Six of the Krispy Kreme, like I used to do that too, right? I take Krispy Kreme, you go there, and I bring like a dozen home. Right? Yeah. I eat two out of the dozen and you eat the rest of the dozen, but over the course of the days, you still ate the dozen. So the key no, is funny because wait. Like, I told him I was some donuts, right? We counted out how many donuts we needed. We came out to a dozen. We had a lot of their thing in the house. Me, my wife, my daughter. Uh, I go to Krispy Kreme, and I was like, "Yeah, I ordered a dozen." I was like, "Yeah, let me get a, let me get six more." <laughs> so I ate the motherfuckers for you know, like half of them got home, got home, and the rest of them shit so they threw that box away, and then. She thought I was being good, right? So they yeah. eat the donuts, whatever. Then she found the box. She's like, you cocksucker. Right. <laughs> hey, 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 man, I'm not going to lie. I remember the first holiday, first Christmas last year, I came home for Christmas with two boxes of donuts. It was mm-hmm. crushing donuts. Felt sick like the next day, but I crushed the donuts. But, and then I just end up going back on it, you know, because I just realized I just don't like all that sugar. But, you know, the key is it's just small changes, you know, grab your donut. I got, you know what? I got just a thing. Hey, call me, call me, call me, call me. Yeah. I got to come yeah. back. I'm, I'm here, I'm here. Call me, come back. I'm here, I'm here. You got, no, I need to hear me. I need you to come back, though. I can you see you, though. I can hear you. No, nah, bro. Oh, you got you to you you come back. All right, I know right you're, back, you're, you're great beats. You know what I'm saying? You can probably go downstairs in Wakanda and still talk but to after you. a while, if, uh, once you cut that sugar out and stuff, yeah. after a while, it's overwhelming when you start eating again. Like, it, is. It, is. Guys, it is. Oh, cool. Wait, check it out. I got this right here. We, first thing Monday, I'm about to get back you in go. the gym. First thing Monday. <laughs> and this is, this, guys, listen, Carby was, was my roommate in 1990, right? This is one thing I know about him for sure. When he gets disciplined and locked in on something, it's kind of difficult to, to get him off his block, right? That's so true. what I heard you saying, Colby, right now, you about to get in shape and you about to lose 100 pounds. Is, is that what I just heard? Well, you know, saying? I did this in 2017. Before. I dropped, uh, yeah, I dropped exactly. like 80 pounds. Yeah, I got on P90. 80 pounds. <laughs> Colby has pants and wow. he has a set of pants and he put his body in one, one set, one leg of the pants. Yeah. Yeah, so right. when he get locked in, it's, it's, it's a different ball game. So yeah, actually, I was us, getting there because I did I did about sixty days P ninety X right before I had COVID, and uh, you know obviously I had COVID in October. Tell you know right, I, I know remember, that. You knew, so, yeah, so, yeah, so guys, I guys, like I got an idea. I got an idea. What we do? I want to do this for our podcast, right? Call, I need you to document your process of losing hundred pounds. I'm gonna doc, document my process of losing forty pounds. Hey, 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 no, no, this is what we about to do. Accountability. Every week we see each other. Shit, I guess so. I, I guess when I look so. at Tom, Tom looks so great. Tom That's was true. a big boy. Tom was a big boy in college, <laughs> man. Like, man, come on, Tom. I look at Tom right now. He, he, he got them Bill Bill DeVoe, this motherfucker, bald head, and he, he got all the hoes now. Oh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, hold on, man. Shit, this thing ain't going to beat me. But wait, you know what? Let me tell you one thing real quick. On, on back he's, he's on the diabetes shit. And this, this will make me do it again. This will make me do it the first time. And this conversation tonight is going to make me do it again. I started with some other doctor friends, right? right. And um, he, he, one of the doctor friends had a screenshot of a, um, an HIV positive result, right? What? For some right. patient. Right. And he sent the screenshot without the name, just showed HIV reactive. And my response to that was, I said, shit, somebody's life about to change today. And his response fucked me up. Another doctor was on three. His, his response fucked me up. He said, shit, 
I'd much rather a patient be HIV positive and have diabetes and have blood pressure. And then the next line, he said, oh, no offense, KB. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, Damn. what the fuck does that mean? And he was like, man, they got drugs for HIV and AIDS and shit, man. Yeah. The diabetes and blood pressure kill your ass. And yeah. I was like, well, 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 yeah, no, I mean, well, yeah, no, I mean, that's true. I mean, well, nowadays, true, HIV man. to us anymore. I mean, the medications work. The side effect profiles are low. What's that shit? They have commercials. They got Victarvi and shit, whatever they got on TV. Yeah. They, they keep them commercials on, you know what I'm saying? But I'm yeah, like, they, they hit me like, because, you know, we grew up in the era when AIDS came about, and that shit was a fucking death sentence. For it, real. Death sentence. Right. I right. hear doctors say high, high blood pressure and diabetes is worse than that shit. I was like, AIDS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and the reason why most black men who have HIV AIDS are dying more so than white men is because they're usually not compliant with their medications. So that usually ends up being a thing. They're not compliant. But, you know, so, like I said, yeah. first thing Monday, I was actually going today, but I'm doing a, uh, I got a sleep apnea test on uh, tomorrow night. Right. Going in for that. Right. So I had to take that COVID test prior to that. Oh, yeah. Yep. And I got to self-isolate. You negative? I'm negative, but I got to self-isolate before I go get this uh, this CPAP titration CPAP. test. Uh, so yeah. that's why I couldn't go to the gym today. But I'm about to get back in the gym, uh, like I said. It's a great time, because guess what? Yeah, no, Homecoming in a year, you take that shirt off with the brands on, like, what's up, baby? Y'all see Carby? Right. <laughs> you got that little slim trim on y'all hole. What's up? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we got the boat. We're going to have a boat. Uh, we have a boat on uh, Lake Michigan next summer. So, you know, I got I to get ready for, uh, for May. Oh, this summer? Okay, so hold up. So, 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 so then they shoot the boat to Lake, Lake Michigan and they shoot the books. Come on, I got a 380, it'll be right there. Uh, you can't see it from here, but you know, well, yeah, I guess you could see okay. it's right here, you know, okay. right we'll up the way, that. kind of, but yeah, we have a 380 right, out there yeah. in the summer, so yeah, we're, we're gonna be ready. Brands Ooh. gonna be out, you know what I'm saying? We're good. The brands right, gonna go. be out, <laughs> brands gonna be out. Mm. Might get some new ones, Shit. you know what I'm saying? Not that. You know, any, you know, the training condones any of that kind of activity. It's a strict. Right. <laughs> it's, it's all been a great America, man. Somebody great America, man. You know, loving our wives and family, things, those, those type of things. Man, things exactly. So that's what that's what okay. we're about. Yeah, yeah. skin off your dick. This, this Tom, shit. Thank you, man. Yeah, you man, Doctor Abernathy, brother, we appreciate you coming on, man. You know, this is sure. great. Um, like I said, we can't wrap it up for a minute. I'm wrapping it up, dog. Damn, what this what it sound like I'm doing? I'm sorry, my man. I'm sorry. Shut up, dog. Anyway, man, we appreciate you coming on. And uh, you know, I know we got to the point you might want to send a couple of us invoices for all these questions and shit that we had going on, but hey, we appreciate your time and uh, and all the knowledge and expertise you share with us and our viewers. And uh, man, you know, come back again. And next time we might just shoot the shit on whatever topic. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to be in a professional capacity. You can right, put your right. hat on backwards and just talk shit. Come like home early, so I had to dress up, you know? Nah, nah, that's, that's good shit. We, you know, the consummate professional, again, we appreciate right. your time and you coming on. But hey, another great episode next week. We've got another banger coming out. Uh, so hey, go, you know, thehouse94.com, the house 94 podcast. Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitter, IG, all of that. Like, love it, subscribe, and give you feedback. We keep telling you, you know, we don't get our feelings hurt. So tell us what you think. Tell us how much you love us because we know you love the shit. And hey, we'll see you next week. Have a happy Thanksgiving and uh, we out. Rude. Rude. Good shit.